Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Zoo Town podcast. Our hope with this podcast is to promote healthy conversation on a variety of topics, whether it's taboo or controversial or even just something lighthearted and fun. Either way, we hope it gets you thinking and talking. Also, there is some mature content being discussed in today's podcast. So if you listen with your kids or are personally triggered by that kind of thing, just be aware of that. And on that note, here is the Zootown podcast. Well, thanks everyone for joining Zootown podcast. And we have the pleasure of uh, talking with Mr. Nate Larkin today, who wrote a book called uh, Purpose Driven Life. So uh, we're looking forward to that. <laughs> Just kidding. Now he wrote uh, a book called Samson and the Pirate Monks, and I referenced it in my sermon on Sunday. So if you want to go listen to that, it's called Recovery in our Bar Church series. So welcome, Nate Larkin. How are you, buddy? Well, Scott, it's great to be with you. I'm I'm doing well. I have uh, my wife and I have temporarily relocated from our home in Tennessee to Florida. Uh, well, on uh, on a new house is being uh, renovated. So yeah, it's sunny and reasonably warm, even though it's February. Yeah. Well, life is good, man. Yeah. It's about 20 degrees here with two feet of snow. So uh, you can suck it, Nate. So <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So I guess kind of want to break this podcast up into two things. One, just your personal story. And uh, obviously <laughs> I'm going to kind of reiterate some of the points that I made on Sunday in my sermon. Um, and then we mm-hmm. just love to hear, you know, your heart just for Samson and the pirate monks and yeah, just true. real authenticity. Yeah. And I, I preached on just how church should be a vulnerable spot. And um, I yeah. love that quote you had where you talked about persona um, mm-hmm. and how the church has become a place where people say you want to be honest, uh, but then it often is used against you. And I'll be, and I have seen that in my own life where I have shared. Sure personal things. And then it's, it's like, you know, we'll get into that, but, um, so I, you, you mentioned a term professional Christian in your book and how you were a professional Christian. So just, just kind of break that down in your estimation, what that is and how we got here. How'd we get here? Yeah. 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 Well, I'm a preacher's kid to begin with. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I grew up in church and raised to believe really that to be a five-star Christian, (laughs) <laughs> uh, you really have got to be a, a minister. You got to be a preacher. There's, uh, you know, that there is kind of this clerical distinction. Uh, yeah, it's okay to be a Christian businessman or maybe, a, you know, a, a missionary or a Christian doctor. But man, it, if you're really serious, uh, you got to be a minister. And so that was really the family destiny for me from the time I was a kid. I have a drive to excel. And uh, I happen to have, uh, to be born with some of the gifts that that uh, help you excel at church. So, <laughs> I, I, memory, a good singing voice. You know, I I was not equipped to quarterback the football team. Uh, I, you know, I'm I, I'm not that gifted in the building trades, and farming wears me out. But I, <laughs> I was kind of, I'm, I was set up for, uh, for for preaching. But here's the thing: uh, there is this strange deal. Uh, almost a devil's bargain that the contemporary church offers to anybody willing to step into the pulpit. Yes. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. We need somebody who can explain the Christian life to us on a weekly basis and demonstrate that it can be led successfully. And by that, we mean without struggle and without failure. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, if you'll accept that job, we got a pedestal for you to climb up on. Uh, and we'll pay you to stay there. Uh, and you'll get respect and, uh, you know, you can feed your family and you can live indoors. However, if you fall off that pedestal or God forbid, jump off that pedestal in a way that makes us nervous, we will replace you immediately. Um, so, uh, you know, I knew when I, you know, finally, planted a church at the age, age of 25, accepted, you know, the invitation to plant a church and took the job as pastor. I knew at that point that I was still struggling. My struggle at that point, and I, I can't pretend that it's over today, but my, it was really killing me back then, was, was, uh, was lust, uh, addiction to porn and prostitutes. Uh, even though that behavior was dormant when I started uh, in the pastoral ministry. I knew that I had a vulnerability there. I also knew that I couldn't share that vulnerability with anybody yeah, or I would lose the gig, right? Mm -hmm. And I had uh, a wife and three kids to support. So I had to fight. I had to fight that battle all on my own, um, which, which led to a very lonely life. And then under the pressures of the ministry, and I did not know how to live life on life's terms. And I had nobody to be honest with or ask help of uh, anybody that I could trust. Uh, you know, I found myself once again locked in a lonely, losing battle. And here's kind of the thing that really kind of makes me sad, Scott, is that, you know, I knew that I couldn't confess a sexual sin and without losing status in the church at the very least and perhaps my place in the church. Uh, or my ambitions to be in ministry uh, or, or, or to be useful. And one of the reasons I knew that was that I participated in the stoning of other men who had either been caught in a sexual sin or had foolishly um, accepted our rhetoric about grace and actually confessed a sexual sin. Um, and and so I'd, I'd participated in their discipline which was not loving discipline it was punishment it was stoning somehow thinking that i don't know maybe if we made an example of them that would be enough to scare the other bastards going <laughs> off the rails myself yeah 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 so i knew what would happen to me if they if they uh if they caught me and it's a it's a very hard place for anybody in church leadership to be and it's not just the pastor that's true not just the pastor yeah. Huh. And so, yeah, you, uh, I love that part where you talk about when you, um, well, for our audience, you explain your story a little bit to our audience just because they have probably haven't read your yeah, book yeah, yeah, and yeah. I want them to read your book, but <laughs> so start with you trying yeah. to split a church because you knew better as a janitor. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I did that. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So in a nutshell, yeah. what was kind of your journey? So yeah, you you struggled with loss and a, a sexual addiction. Um right. for our right. audience. Yeah. And you are also on I am second. Uh you can go to that website and listen to Nate's story. Um, but just give us a right. you know, brief little honest, vulnerable moment here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you know, every Every boy these days, every girl practically sees porn. Every boy uh, likes porn because it uh, it depicts something that we're wired by God to want. 
and if we do not know how to connect intimately in a safe way uh, with a partner, the false intimacy that's offered by pornography can be very tempting as a workaround uh, to give us some comfort, some sense of connection. And we're wired for connection. That's how we're made. We are made in the image of God as relational beings, yeah. haunted by loneliness if we cannot connect. So porn offers this imaginary connection with a virtual person, which when we accept it begins at that moment to compromise our ability to really create and sustain a real relationship with an actual person. So long-term porn use creates an intimacy disorder. That really is the best way to describe where I, uh, what I'm recovering from, which is an intimacy disorder. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I thought that marriage would solve my obsession with porn, with lust. Uh, it's better to marry than to burn, the Bible yeah, says. I've so never I seen that, that work out well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought you know, that, that, that's God's solution, right? Uh, I was crushed to find out that I did not lose my interest in pornography when I got married. Uh, never, I love my wife, never thought that I would ever be unfaithful to her. But porn also programs us. To the point where we don't eventually we don't see people uh, nearly as much as we see bodies. And, uh, you know, at one point, well into marriage and almost five years into ministry, I unexpectedly found myself with a young lady in my car propositioning me for sex. Uh, and the programming took over. That was the first uh, encounter for me. Followed by many others. And that was enough eventually to, to get me to quit the ministry. Uh, I knew when I turned on my 30th birthday, I knew I either had to quit the behavior or quit the ministry. And at that point there was only when I could quit. So, and in your book, you said I that you gave, the ministry. The, you gave the church a lame excuse. What was that excuse? If you, yeah, to... yeah. I was, oh, I was burned out. I okay. was burned out, oh. burned out at 30. Okay. Um, well, I was definitely under a lot of stress, but it was self-imposed stress, and it was the stress created by a double life. It takes a lot of energy to run two simultaneous operating systems, which is basically <laughs> what I was doing, you know, toggling between two people. And one of them, you know, deep in darkness, deep in secrecy, deep in shame. Uh, yeah, just consuming my life. So went into business where I had the great misfortune to succeed. And uh, wind up with a lot more money and more discretionary time and even less accountability than it had in the ministry. So, uh, you know, that when I reconstructed it later, you know, you don't have to do it these days. This was before, by the way, this was before Tinder. This was before Internet porn. Oh, man, you were an, you were a, a groundbreaker. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, these days, you know, if you're paying for porn, you're doing it wrong. But back then. Yeah. Uh, if you wanted porn, you had to go find it. You had to take a risk. You had to pay for it. And I didn't want to have any affairs. And I actually thought I was superior to guys who had affairs because I never got emotionally involved. Not and that to far. To me, yeah. I was just meeting the physical need. It was like getting a haircut. You know, I just needed a hell of a lot of haircuts. <laughs> um, but uh, where was I going? Yeah, at any rate, so yeah, reconstructing it later, best, 
my best estimate is that I spent $300,000 on pornography and prostitutes. Wow. Which is not my greatest regret. That's just money. My great regret is that I spent my children's childhood and 20 years of my wife's life, 20 years of mine, uh, trading my birthright, as the Bible says, for a bowl of beans. Uh, I am, you know, but, 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 but I never left church. I was always active in church, even after, yeah, the Sunday after I left the ministry, we were in church and active in church. I love church. Um, <laughs> my religious persona that I call Saint Nate could live at church. He could breathe at church. Hmm. Um, and I thought that was the person that God loved. And I tried like crazy to be that person, but I couldn't be that person consistently. Not for very long outside. I was bright and shiny in the building and I was sincere as I possibly could be. But somehow something else took over when I left. Um, yeah. Uh, and and what, why do you think that is, though? Do you think that was because you were taught that or is that something inside of you in regards to church? I, like why? Why? Okay. Yeah. I think I was taught it. I think it was part of uh, my religious training. Uh, I, you know, I spent years begging God for a forgiveness that's already mine. Yeah. Because I believe the gospel. 33 AD. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I really thought, you know. I really thought that I, you know, we, in our church, we sang Amazing Grace. Uh, and, but in our practice, you know, you, you had all the grace you needed until you needed it. Yeah. Amen. Right. Uh, you had grace until you sinned and then you fell out of grace <laughs> until you repented and stopped sinning. And then you had grace again. And it was, a. Uh, and somehow, the, you know, the gospel had not connected with me. I was a very much performing person. And I really thought that uh, I was a colossal disappointment to God. Hmm. Just a terrible disappointment. Hmm. And I kept trying to make it up to him. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, I know that I'm not unique in that way of thinking. And that really was the theology in which I was raised. Why do you think that is? Like, is it to protect the brand, like, of a church? Or why is that? Yeah, why is it that, you know, like, preachers can stand and preach grace, 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 grace. But then, <laughs> I mean, I've had it happen. I, I, I've had it happen to me. I've done it to people. It's <laughs> like the guys who preach the most grace don't <laughs> deli it out very well. I mean, why is that? I've noticed this strange thing. If a church has grace in its name, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's legalistic. Um, you mean like grace to you podcast? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've seen the pattern so often. Well, grace is foreign. Grace is, grace is foreign. Most of us, we also, we don't want grace. Grace is humiliating. Yes, it is. Um, I want to earn what I get. I want to have a sense of accomplishment. Um, I think there are probably lots of reasons why we resist grace. And, and the gospel is so radical. Uh, 
the good news is so good that it's difficult to believe. Yeah, there's always a caveat, right? It's like, yeah, the but. <laughs> That's right. Jesus right. loves you, but. Yeah, but but we do we get into behavior modification, and we want everybody to shape up and fly right. We like to run other people's lives, and uh, yeah, we like to appear bright and shiny and to have it all together. We like to associate with people who have their shit together. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so do you. Why do people want that? That's what I keep wrestling with because it's like I, yeah. I listen to, you know, I, I'm i more into the orthodox stuff now. It's just, more, it's just yeah, so okay. much more deeper and spiritual to me. But yeah, I, yeah. I still listen to modern preachers sometimes and it does just seem like moral advice. Like, yeah, here's the good, here's the bad, just don't do the bad. And here's how you fix your marriage in this. And here's how you do that. But it's, I mean, yeah. they have the, they have huge churches. And so you're like, what, why, how is that selling? <laughs> success i mean is that it or well yeah well i'll tell you what it does lead to it leads to burnout it leads to disillusionment long term um you know you can wind people up with those uh solutions only so many times mm -hmm. then you can get them to come down front and make a fresh commitment or a recommitment to get to dedicate or rededicate their rededication or mm -hmm. whatever it is yeah. that down front uh, to start over the new program, you can only do it so many times before people just get exhausted. Mm, that's a good word. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, and, and that is American evangelicalism, if we're honest. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah. a yeah. constant read more, pray more, and then God will move more type mentality. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. It's exhausting. I did it for nine years, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the last three. So you, uh, what was it like as you started? I mean, you realize you're, you know, in your book, you say your wife finally caught you. Um, right. Love that whole section, man. I just, I love that whole section. I mean, I know that was your terrible pain, but I loved how you wrote that. <laughs> and then talk yeah. about how you found um, real church, I guess, in recovery. It's amazing. I found real church in the basement of the church in the middle of the week while all the good people were gone. Hmm. Uh, a 12-step meeting. It's amazing. 12-step meetings very often are hosted in churches, almost always in the basement. If you want to find a meeting, you go to the lowest point in the building. <laughs> this is where the, that's where you'll the find peasants them. hang out. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I can remember just sitting in that first meeting thinking, I have never heard honesty like this in my life. Um, I've never felt such empathy. I'd never sensed such humility, kindness. Uh, I've really never felt love like I felt it in that room. Mm. From a bunch of people, you know, Samaritans who didn't even seem to know you know, the proper name of God. They kept referring to him as a higher power. Uh, which, by the way, my my religious arrogance immediately kicked in. Me too. And I thought, Me too. I thought, well, I know my higher power can beat up their higher power. And I'm probably here as a missionary, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, dude, I'm, I'm with you, man. I remember I, I have, I'm ashamed but in my, yeah. I've said it in sermons in my, in my youth, like, yeah, they, they yeah. talk about a higher power, but higher power has a name. 
and that's right, i yeah, used yeah, to shame yeah, yeah. them i used to shame yeah, yeah, them yeah. for that and now i yeah. repent on air that i'm sorry i said that because yeah i think uh we're not really sure i mean I, we know it's jesus but yeah there might be some other things going on there <laughs> but anyways so you yeah. you found uh, how how long did it take you in that group to really open up well, it took me a good couple of years to emotionally join the, the group. Um, I initially came to the group because I thought I had an information problem. Mm. I'd, I'd, I'd spent years searching for the final piece of the puzzle, the silver bullet, that, that key piece of information that would allow me to defeat the compulsion. I was determined to set the land speed record for recovery. I was going to uh, 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 and so I, you know, I, I got all the literature and devoured it. I mastered the vocabulary quickly. Um, I'd sold it long before I owned it. Um, and I, you know, I just, I wanted to, I wanted to get the diploma or the green jacket or where the hell you get, and then get yeah. out of it. Yeah, what do you get? A trophy, a, a coin, right? That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I did not want to join that group because here's the thing. I said that I wanted to be free of compulsive sexual behavior. That really isn't true. You know what I wanted? I wanted to be morally self-sufficient. Mm. Mm. That's what I wanted. And that was the one thing. That's why God would never take it away from me. I'm convinced of it. Why would he take away the biggest lever in my life? The one thing big enough to force me out of isolation and into honest relationship with other members of the body of Christ. Why would he do that? That's not the program. He came to reconcile us to God and to each other. Yeah. The central fact of the New Testament is that we are a body. We are connected. The church is an organism, not an organization. Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't want that. I, I'm willing to help anybody, but I did not want to ask for help. Um, I, I wanted to be like God, morally self-sufficient. I don't want to need anybody. And, uh, you know, eventually after enough relapses, enough failure, uh, you know, the, the, the good thing about addiction is that it will over time, if you allow it, it beats, beats some sense into you. I was finally humbled enough to start to, to, to make, the emotional decision to join the church, to just, to, it's really, it was a decision to join the human race. Yeah, totally. To become a man among men. I'd always considered myself to be either above or below the common run of humanity. But just to be another bozo on the bus, just, just, just to be there. Yeah. It's a wonderful place to be. It's a hard place to get. For some of us, especially for me, a lot of pride. Well, you're standing uh, in the loser. I, you're standing in the loser line. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. the gospel's for losers. <laughs> and we miss that. <laughs> How did we? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. one thing you mentioned, I just want to touch on this because this is something I've been teaching and processing myself. So everything you're saying rings true about being the, you know, in a, a moral, not a moral authority, but morally in charge, at least, yeah. you know, um, cause that's indoctrinated in us as if you're going to be a pastor, you're here to fix people, which yeah. Jesus never said, by the way, but you talked about knowledge yeah. that's ingrained in us in the church, right? Like sure, theology right. saves you, knowledge right, yeah. saves you. And if you can right, just right, have yeah. enough knowledge bullets in your holster, then 
you can prove that you're following Jesus. And so, I mean, how do you view that? You, I mean, you said, if I could just gain enough knowledge that would fix me, like, where does that come from? Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, I don't know, but I do know this. Um, I do know that, uh, faith is to a very large extent, not to say that the, not that the, the head is, uh, pointless. God gave us a brain for a purpose. Mm -hmm. Uh, but faith is a, is a heart thing. Uh, you know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yes. And yeah, Paul talks so much more about redeeming your mind than so many things, you know? Yeah. Uh, here's what I know. I spent years doing irrational things for non-rational reasons, trying to solve the problem by rational means. Hmm. doesn't work. My behavior, I now believe that almost... <laughs> They're not coming to take you away, are they? Okay. <laughs> uh, almost everything I do, I do for an emotional reason. Uh, often in reaction to trauma. Not always, but often. Um, or some, some other kind of fear. So almost everything I do, I do for an emotional reason. And then if necessary, I dress it up with a nice juicy rationalization so that I can sound like a rational person. The problem, my biggest challenge, my biggest problem I've discovered when I got into recovery, and I'm still working on this, was um, I had no idea what I was feeling most of the time. Hmm. I was trained uh, in a very strict Christian home uh, that paid attention, uh, taught me not how to behave, how to think. And how to feel, what to be, what to do, what to think, and what to feel. And there were certain things that we're not allowed to feel. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, I had gotten to the point when I finally got into recovery where I had lost the language of the heart. I didn't know what I was feeling most of the time. I was living from the neck up, but I was behaving from a deeper place. It is. It's, it's, it's a willingness in honest conversation to get below the level of debate uh, and theological speculation to, uh, when I'm now willing to talk honestly with brothers and sisters, but mostly brothers. I, you know, I find it's safe, safest for me to do my deep disclosure, if not with my wife, then with brothers. To say the kind of things that David says in the Psalms, to me, that's my model, okay? There's a guy who poured out his heart before God day after day. And and we have the benefit of the transcripts of his basic prayer journals in in the Psalms. So when he's joyful and confident and full of faith, he says so, jubilant, praise, he says so. But man, when he is afraid, when he is angry, when he is resentful, when he's pissed off at people, mm-hmm. when he's angry with God, when he wants God to kill his enemies and their kids, he says so. And it's that heart connection that I think makes a whole person that uh, that helps me to live an integrated life, uh, to bring more of the shadow into the light, to be a more consistent person. So, um, yeah. 
So I, I don't live as much an, uh, a curated and edited public life as I used to. That's and you're more free, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. How did uh, and I do fewer stupid things? Sorry, go ahead. What'd you say? I do fewer stupid things. Yeah, amen. When it's all in the open, then you're almost don't want to do it in a way. It's just a weird right, conundrum, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. What? How did your yeah. uh, former if? How did your former church react? Your former friends, the people you led as a pastor. Oh yeah. Oh, you know what? I was I was such a poor pastor that that, that church was built entirely on me. It was a personality driven church, and uh, when I left, uh, they they couldn't find another me. They struggled for a couple of years, and then the church disbanded. Mm. Uh, and I had not formed deep pastoral connections with those folks. Oh, okay. Didn't know how to do it. Uh, I was there to perform mostly. Yeah. So uh, I've had some contact with, and, and, and the amazing thing is that within the last year, a couple of people, one lady sent me a whole trove of cassette tapes because we used to take my sermons. Uh, and she told me how she played them over and over again over the years and had been such a blessing to her. And, and she, she sent them to me. For, I'm astonished that God found anything out of what i had to say i mean that anything was useful to anybody but uh and you had to go buy a record a tape player to listen to him it, yeah <laughs> i i couldn't bring myself to listen to him i put <laughs> i hope she's not listening to this but they went straight to the dumpster oh so, well god yeah. I, and it, god always uses it though man he just does that's yeah. what i found i mean there's yeah. i i started a church when i was 27 and yeah, I pretty much took every sermon down I've ever done up until about three years ago because I was uh -huh. like, ah. Yeah. So that's kind of my theory is don't write a book until you're 40. So there you go. <laughs> hey, guys, we hope you are enjoying this episode of the Zootown podcast. Um, we just want to take a moment right now to remind you that likes, shares, uh, reviews, they go a huge way as far as getting the message out further into our community, but also abroad and into other communities. So if you value this conversation and past conversations that you have heard on this podcast, we ask that you take the time to actually go and give us five stars. Don't give us four. We need all of them. And uh, leave us a review. Thanks again for being listeners to this podcast and contributors and joining the conversation. So you went on and um, this kind of became a movement for you from your recovery experience. Like, tell me about that. How did, you know, that was yeah, a yeah, different yeah. kind of church and you started the Samson Society and how was yeah, that yeah. birthed and how's it going? Well, well, you know, one of the, one of the big insights for me was I learned that um, pretty much all addicts share an inner architecture that, you know, our Medicaid, you know, one of the big revelations to me was when my first sponsor said, Nate, your biggest problem is you think that sex is your problem. Hmm. And uh, I looked at him like he was crazy. Uh, and he said, no, he said, obviously it's a problem. It's a big problem. Uh, you have to stop. You can't stop on your own. God's going to have to do it. He'll probably use us in the process. But if you think that just stopping that behavior is going to fix you or make you happy, you're crazy. If anything, if all you do is stop that behavior and nothing else changes, you'll become more miserable and more miserable to be around than you are today. And you'll find something else because sex isn't your problem. Sex is your favorite solution. Hmm. The medication that you've been using to numb the pain caused by your deeper problems, which, by the way, are common to man. 
So he said, I'm not here to be your accountability partner in sexual matters. Yes, we'll talk about that. Yeah. But that this this is not behavior modification. That's not the focus. We got you have a lot more healing and a lot more repenting to do than, you know, we got bigger fish to fry. So we're going to talk a lot about. Trauma, idolatry, pride, <laughs> uh, fear, anger, resentment, self-pity, self-centeredness. You know, there's a lot. And what I found is that um, what helps me helps somebody who who's found another medication. It can be anything from gambling to gaming to uh, drugs or alcohol to food. Really doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, we all have healing and repenting to do. And the, and the medicine is in the gospel. And it's the gospel that gives us the space, the, the margin, the gray, the, 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 yeah, the courage to look at the hard things. Because once we understand that we are, first of all, more messed up than we know. And at the same time, more deeply loved than we can imagine. That God will never love us less and can never love us more. That we are fully accepted in the beloved. When we know that, now we can face anything. We can talk about anything. Uh, so, yeah, I it, Samson started when I uh, started to share my story. I, I shared it first with my pastor. And said, uh, hey, if you run into any other guy with a similar struggle, you think I can help him, give him my phone number. And my phone started to ring. Hmm. Uh, and then uh, I also was teaching a Sunday school class where I identified myself as an addict, although never said I was a sex addict. Uh, that was because in those days, my wife was terrified that if I ever said sex addict, we would immediately lose all our friends and nobody would want to be around us. Oh, gosh. Um, uh, turns out the absolute opposite has happened. Oh, that's great. People did run. They ran toward us and they still do. It makes us freaking magnetic because if there, I think if there is one, uh, you know, if there's one huge unacknowledged problem in contemporary culture and in, in, in the contemporary church, it's the sexualization of, of our culture. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's a great opportunity for the church to talk about things that matter. There is, uh, there's, I don't know that there's a family that isn't affected by it. Yeah. Uh, but at any rate, um, as I began to tell my story, uh, I began walking with other guys and just doing with them what my sponsor had done with me, which is just, Hey, walk with a guy for a while, take a daily phone call, walk for an hour with him once a week. And that's discipleship. And, uh, I mean, that's discipleship. Yeah. It's that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, that's how discipleship was meant to be. <laughs> and eventually, we got those for at the suggestion of my wife. Really, the insistence of my wife, who saw that I was getting all these phone calls. She cornered me actually one day. Uh, well, we'd we'd been at dinner, and uh, I'd left the table to take a phone call. When I got back, the food was cold, and uh, she wasn't. And um, <laughs> she said. And I said, hey, I, you know, I'm sorry about that. I really am. But, you know, I mean, it was a, it's these phone calls. I'm doing really well, and it's because I'm serving other people. And these phone calls uh, are the reason. Helping other people helps me. 
She says, I get it. I really get it. How many people are you helping right now? And I said, well, I'm, I'm talking, well, I'm, I'm walking with about a dozen guys. She says, great. And the phone calls really help you, right? I said, yeah. She goes, uh, do these guys know each other? And I said, eh, I don't know. Some of them may. Uh, do they know, any of them know that their other guys are calling you? Well, no. Are they getting any phone calls? <laughs> it really helps to get phone calls. Are they getting any phone calls? Yeah, they need help. They, uh, they want to yeah. help people. Yeah. I said, no. And she said, well, frankly, she says, I'm starting to get a little worried because I know that your messianic ambitions and uh, <laughs> she doesn't pull any punches this woman. And uh, you seem to be making yourself the center of things. And that's not healthy for you or for anybody else. So my suggestion is you get these men together. And so that's that was the genesis of the Samson Society. We started with 12 guys. Uh, with a one-hour meeting modeled after a 12-step meeting uh, and pairing guys off in relationships while letting them do it themselves. We don't have sponsors in the Samson Society. We have what we call Siluses. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, from that first group in 2004, there, uh, since then, over 500 local groups have started. Uh, and then right before the pandemic, we, we started online meetings on Zoom. Uh, with the goal of having at least one meeting every hour of every day. Oh, wow. So that no matter where a guy is on the globe or, or in his life, there's brothers always a click away. And actually, uh, that has grown in ways we had not anticipated. Already there are meetings now in six languages. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. As I was just planning today, uh, our next international retreat, which will be in Italy, where they've already translated the book into Italian. And... Uh, Going to meet with the Italian brothers. Oh, I mean, if you have to suffer in Italy, I guess you have to. But <laughs> yeah. that sounds oh, that's amazing. So walk us through what a meeting looks like. Like you, you modeled it after a twelve step, but yeah, uh, what does a Samson Society meeting look like? Well, it has a very um, liturgical feel. Uh, so there are some standard readings that we do. Uh, we open them in prayer. We open them with the reading of the 23rd Psalm. We have a simple confession of faith that gets read at every meeting. That's called the fact. We have a seven-step description of what we do that we call the path that gets read at every meeting. And then at the end, seven principles by which we operate, we call that the pact. Um, but the heart of the meeting is the sharing time. And so uh, we'll do introductions. And then at one point, uh, we'll will select a topic, usually just a single word, and then split guys into small groups if it's a larger meeting, and we can do this online as well. So guys will find themselves in a room with four or five or at most six other guys. That's so that everybody has a chance to speak uh, in the limited time we have because we want to run a tight one-hour meeting. It makes it easy for guys to commit when they know it starts on time, it ends on time. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's there that uh, we ask guys, this is not a discussion group. It's not a Bible study. It's a chance for each man to speak honestly, personally, out of all his own experience around that topic, whatever it is. And here's the crazy thing. After going to meetings like this for now for 20 years, um, I have concluded that it really doesn't matter what the topic is. If I bring my real self, 
always, by the time the meeting's over, I've heard something I've needed to hear and I've said something I've needed to say. Uh, and I honestly, sincerely believe that's because there's another, there's another presence in the room. Hmm. I, Jesus promised, first of all, to be present wherever two or three of us are gathered in his name and promised to send the, the Holy Spirit to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and it's crazy, even though there is not a lesson or a sermon, uh, somehow in that fellowship, uh, you know, now the meetings are great. The meetings are fantastic. I like to say you can get sober from anything going to meetings, but you probably can't stay sober just going to meetings. Yeah, yeah. And most of us are programmed to, you know, one meeting a week, and then we hold our breath between meetings. <laughs> a lot of people do right? that at church, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. Sunday's here. Okay, Monday. Yeah. 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 So what we like to say is the meetings are really just a portal into the brotherhood that Samson really lives between the meetings in daily contact between brothers. So uh, we like to say that Christianity properly understood is a team sport, not an individual event. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been failing because we've been playing one on one against a superior opponent. We're playing the wrong game. Only one person in all of history ever took our ancient enemy online, you know, on, you know, t- took him on, you know, one on one for an extended length of time and beat him that, you know, it's that epic battle in the desert. But, uh, the rest of us, not so much. Yeah, but that's not how it's intended. Yeah, he can. He's seen me a million times, but the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. No. Nope. So uh, we like to say that on any given day, every Christian needs help. Every Christian has some help to give. We are a body. So uh, it, it, I was always willing to trust Christ back in the day. Never willing to trust the body of Christ. No, yeah, amen. Didn't really believe in the body of Christ. I thought that was a metaphor. I didn't believe that Jesus is physically present on this planet in the lives of broken people. But I believe it today. Oh, man, that's good. And the greatest act of surrender I can make to Christ every day is to tell the truth to another member of the body of Christ. That's how it works. So when people... And that's as simple as it is, that's a game changer. Uh, so it is a Christian organization, though? Like, so like if, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. if someone, you yeah. know, if Joe Blow doesn't profess Christ, like he, it's not a bait and switch. Like he knows he's coming to where Christians are at. Yeah. 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 We are a company of Christian men. We have guys come to the meeting who are not Christians, but we are a company of Christian men. How do you, uh, how do you, uh, I don't want to say promote that. How do you handle that? Like, so that, I mean, obviously they it know doesn't, coming it doesn't happen that. often. It does, yeah. It doesn't happen often. Although we'll have, I'll tell you what, we have an awful lot of guys who come to Samson who have spent years in the church and are so exhausted. Their faith is all but dead and they're going through the motions. They'll say they're Christians, but faith is all but gone. That's the most common situation. Why are they exhausted? Uh, an inability to, to uh, meet the moral requirements on a consistent basis, uh, unable to live with themselves with that reality, unable to ask for help, um, dedicating and rededicating their ded- rededications over and over again, yeah, recommitting their commitments. 
And that's right? and what's crazy. I mean, I'm, I want to keep going. I'm sorry. I hate you're speaking my language right now. That's the shift we've made at Zoo Town and all kinds of stuff. Is like, but you know it. Baptisms sell to people. Like, if 40 people get baptized, yeah, the church loves that because yeah. Uh, it, it proves God is working, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, I'll just, I guess I'm talking to an honest guy here. I'll be honest. Like that's, that was the change in me. I realized these are just, these are tally marks for the church to think that I'm a good preacher. These are tally right. marks to think that God is moving here. And as soon as those, we shifted from those, not, we still do baptisms, but stop yeah. promoting that that way. It's like, people were like, oh, like, you know, I guess, yeah. God, I guess God's gone. And you're just like, no one, <laughs> brother Nate, no one ever asked me how many people are getting discipled? Like, yeah. how, how, like, how are people doing? It was how many people are coming, how many are getting baptized, how much money do yeah. we got? And I, it was so yeah. exhausting, yeah. man. It was yeah. so exhausting because yeah. you kept having to one up it. So thank you for my rant. Now go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's our preoccupation with nickels and noses, right? Yeah. And so they were just burnt out from, I mean, the church telling them they had to live to a certain standard to be a right. good Christian, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And if you're carrying a secret, you're fighting a secret battle. What if you're a, what if you're a Christian guy who battles, uh, you know, you're married, but you're haunted by same-sex experience and same-sex attraction. Mm -hmm. uh, and every now and again, you go off the rails. You can't tell anybody that. Where are you going to tell anybody? Where are you going to get? Where are you going to go? Um, and there is a certain percentage of guys in Samson who come with that story. Yeah. Um, oh, hey, there's a couple of other interesting, interesting developments within the last year. I have attended my first Samson Society meeting for women. Uh, also, what has started spontaneously uh, in the last year is uh, a group for the wives of Samson guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, called the Sarah Society. Uh, already it was, it was the wives of guys in the virtual meetings who started it two or three women. They've already got 500 women and they're, they're oh, having a retreat this spring. Cool. Yeah. So there are a lot of wives out there who know that their husbands are struggling, but, uh, and maybe they've caught their husband or, you know, whatever, you know, Allie for a long time, she didn't want to out me and she didn't want to shame me and she didn't want, but who's she going to talk to? Uh, now, thank God there's a place for, for women married to idiots like me, uh, <laughs> to, to talk to other women and they're not, and they're, and they and these are women who love their husbands. Yeah, of course. They don't get together to bash their husbands. They don't hate men, but they want to deal with the trauma of betrayal the rea and get to healthy healing and forgiveness and not to try to get to forgiveness too soon. And you know, all of that. Yeah. So uh, one thing I've heard from a friend of mine who has, who's in recovery um, for alcohol. Yeah. Um, he was telling me that sometimes in recovery groups, he struggles with it because they'll confess like they slipped up or they relapsed or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and everyone yeah. says, you know, oh, we're here for you. And then he says at the water cooler, they kind of judge that person. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and that's just human response to be like, well, I've made it two weeks and they made it one week, you know, it yeah, makes you feel better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you deal with that? Like in a Samson group, how does that affect things? Well, there's one thing we, uh, there's one practice of 12 step recovery that we did not adopt. And that's the chip system. Okay. Uh, where, uh, 
And there are some Christian recovery groups that have adopted, like uh, Celebrate Recovery, that do the chips. We have found that that can be that can that can be on one hand shaming, and the other hand, it can lead to arrogance. People who are you know carrying a big heavy chip, what they call heavy metal, you know, they're into the multiples years. Yeah. Um, and it and it can then just devolve into it. Put the I think it can put the focus in the wrong place and devolve into. Um, uh, behavior modification like a hierarchy almost yeah right so you you don't say in a samson meeting first of all you don't say in a, you're not required to identify yourself as an addict any kind of an addict or say what your medication is nor do you say in the meeting your period of sobriety that's something between you and your silence um and uh and there's we have a very gracious environment there's no penalty i have actually frankly come to believe that um relapse is really a normal part of recovery not everybody relapses there are a few guys there are a couple guys who i get an annual text from or an email that'll say you know five years ago seven years ago nine years ago whatever it was you know you and i took a walk and i got i picked up my nine-year chip today right I'm glad for those guys. I'm also a little bit jealous. It pisses me off a little bit. That certainly wasn't my story, and it's not <laughs> common. I was a cult, I was a champion slipper for my first two and a half years, um, and um, so we don't shame guys around relapse. The one here's the rule in Samson: don't hide. Yeah, that's the one rule: don't hide. Hmm. Although I love this one of my one of my. Uh, best friends, a guy who started the second ever Samson meeting in Nashville, Andy Gullihorn, he says this when it takes on a new guy. Guy's just been, you know, guy's just hit the wall or been hit by the bus, you know, and the, the secret's out and he's desperate for help and he's covered with shame. And, and Andy will say, look, um, I want you to tell me your story. I want you to know up front that um, I know you're going to lie to me. Uh, because you've been lying to yourself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm not laughing at your pain, dude. It's just, okay. it's just so real, and I'm it's so refreshing. But, okay, so he says, "Tell me as much of the truth as you can tell me. Tell me the story as truthfully as you can tell." Now, later on, if you need to walk some of that back and change your story, there's no penalty for doing it. Hmm. Just do your best right now. That's healthy because uh, now I don't have to stick to a story that isn't true. And, you know, build this scaffold of other untruths, you know, and eventually it's going to tumble down. we got to get to a point of, of full disclosure with somebody who's safe and, and, and get, to, it doesn't mean that everybody has to know everything, but somebody better know everything. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, we, uh, we're just laying the foundation for more pain in the future. Yeah, that's good. It's really good. Um, how, um, how have you seen this change people's spirituality with Jesus? Like, how have you seen Whoa. this honesty with brothers, um, and make their Christian walk better? Oh, it changes everything. For one thing, I will tell you it, I got into recovery and overnight the Bible changed. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it happened, but the, I, I, Somehow the, the Bible changed. 
Um, in what way? There was grace on every page. And I hadn't seen the grace before. There was grace on every freaking page. Yep. Um, and you know, when it, when I'm, when I'm not coming to God in a groveling way and I'm not coming uh, out of shame, uh, you know, it reinvigorated, it reinvigor reinvigorated my Christian faith. And I see it happen over and over and over again with guys. Although what I have also seen is that it's made, it's made it tough for some guys in their church. Depends on the church. Um, some guys have found real, uh, you know, their faith has been reinvigorated, but as they, uh, but, it, but, uh, it's made church life more difficult with them because now they see, you hear it over and over and over again. Why can't church be more like a 12 step me or recovering Nancy me? Yeah. Why? You know, I, after you've been to a Samson meeting, it's hard to go to a pancake breakfast again. You know what I mean? <laughs> if, if that's the annual men's event, the freaking pancake breakfast, please. Just to have it. I mean, we we got to have something. So let's just throw this event right, together right, that right. doesn't do right, right. anything. Yeah. Um, now, if you can combine a Samson meeting with a pan, it's not saying you can't ever have pancakes at a San, you know, a you heard it here. Meeting. Nate Larkin yeah. is against like pancakes, pancakes. Everybody. Nate Larkin hates pancakes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be hard, right? But, I mean, that, that would be super hard to like yeah. get rid of the facade and then to yeah. have, you know, I I'm, I'm in that camp actually in a lot of ways. Like we, yeah. we, we've, we have a culture that has definitely been more open and honest at this church, but yeah. man, yeah. it's hard for me to see, performance now and yeah, you know yeah so that was uh, you know the, the other thing about the samson meeting that i didn't mention is that we always have a meeting which is an hour long but then and i've noticed in the places where samson has really taken root and flourished there's another part of samson life that they've not neglected and that is after the meeting there is a meeting after the meeting and it's held in a separate place. So our meeting after the meeting is in an Irish pub, McCurry's Irish pub on Main Street. Perfect. Um, and it's there where we um, argue and insult each other and tease and laugh and cry and and have follow-up conversations and challenge each other and and form friendships and strengthen friendships. And I've noticed that Sometimes guys only came to the Samson meeting after coming to the meeting after the meeting. <laughs> and they've hung out a couple times with us at the pub and they, and then they kind of think, well, okay, I guess I could go to church with these guys. Yeah. And then they come to the meeting. Do you consider uh, your Samson meeting your church? Oh, Okay, let me rephrase that. Would you be guys, would you be okay if someone too. made that their church? Would you be okay with that? I I struggle with it, uh, but I hear it all the time. I mean, guys say all the time, "This is my church." Mm -hmm. Um, now, if their church is 
um, open to the level of authenticity and vulnerability that they're, they want to bring, these guys will dive in at church and really serve and, and, and change things. If their church is resistant to that, then Samson, for all practical purposes, becomes their church. Yeah. Um, but let's say Samson is a big, is a vital part of the church for me. What, um, uh, how can we make church like that? And yeah. I mean, I mean, like a, not a Samson society in the church, not that that's bad. Yeah. How, how could church become that? Do you have hope that yeah. it could, or is it just, you can be honest. I don't know. A lot of, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, I think it has to be, I think it has to be modeled by church leadership. Um, I don't know how. Yeah, there are recovery churches around the country and there are, you know, it, it's always easier to talk about and describe than it is to actually pull off. Why? Ah, I don't know. I think authenticity makes all of us nervous. I think there's comfort in the way we've always done things. I think there's fear. Uh, that perhaps we are presuming too much upon the grace of God, and certainly He, He, he must expect more of us than this. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I don't either. I'm going to send you the sermon I just did after this, just so you could hear it. Because all right, I, good. I, yeah, I just kind of talked a lot about that, um, and then I had a vulnerable moment moment at the end there. Um, but yeah, I've just, the reason I ask is I've just been processing that, like how, you know, you're going to take bullets from the other churches and I don't, yeah. you know, and then it makes people afraid and then people leave your church because they're afraid. And well, yeah. it's, it's just a, it's just a really hard balance because, you know, yeah. like you're reading in the gospel. I mean, I said this in one of my sermons, like Peter was, Peter was a racist for years Right. Until God gave him the vision and Cornelius and all that. Right. But like we would cancel Peter. <laughs> right. Know? Sure. Like we'd be yeah, like, you're right. out, man. Sorry. You've, yeah. uh, from what we heard on social media, you cut some guy's ear off. You, you know, yeah. Jesus yeah, called yeah, you yeah. Satan. And so I've yeah. just been processing verbally to you, like, how do you make that change? I mean, it's just because I'm with you, man. I'm exhausted from it. Like I'm yeah. just exhausted from the, the, the fear that someone's going to get punished or, and, and I I've had a situation where the people I was honest with turned it on me and made me sound yeah. like, and, and they, they made it sound like I was mentally unstable because yeah. I was willing to confess some of these things and struggle. So I'm, I'm gun shy too. I do have that person in my life that I can be totally honest with, but I'm just talking about from the, from the cultural standpoint of a church. I just, I, how do you change that? that yeah you know that's tough so last question and then i'll let you go i really appreciate you um what's the future of the samson society what's your vision what's your dream besides going to italy yeah yeah no um i think you know a big part of the vision right now is at least one meeting every hour of every day available online for guys and how do people find that samsonsociety.com or samsonsociety.net uh, there's no p in samson by the way it's s-a-m-s-o-n samsonsociety.com uh, now the only way to get into one of the online groups is you first have to attend a newcomer meeting it's a one hour online 
you know, virtual meeting, orientation. The reason we do that, by the way, is that before we started these meetings, uh, we were running on a homemade website some uh, forums and chat rooms where we had all kinds of troublemakers and idiots and bots and yeah, you know people yeah. wanted it. so it was a mess and we had, so, so we always had to patrol those spaces and they didn't feel particularly safe we we decided nobody's going to get into an online meeting until we've had a chance to meet them so it's kind of like a two-way interview where you get a chance to meet Sam, a real samson we have there's at least one newcomer meeting every day um you get to meet a samson guy they get to meet you uh and Here's the crazy thing. You know, I resisted starting the online meetings. It was the young guys who pushed it, and I'm glad they did. They did it before COVID, so we were up and running and had Zoom integrated into the website when the pandemic hit. I didn't want to do it because if there's one thing I know for certain, it's that recovery requires relationship. And I'm an old guy, and I didn't think that real relationships can form outside of a shared physical space. Mm -hmm. What I have found, and this is so wild to me, the relationships that have formed in these virtual groups, in many cases, are stronger than those in the local groups. Uh, and to me, one of the greatest joys of a Samson retreat is watching guys hug their best friend for the first time. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that I happened? Think, I think perhaps, perhaps, perhaps the digital distance gives guys an added feeling of safety so they're able to get more vulnerable more quickly. Yeah, they're probably in their own homes too and a lot of times. Sure. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, other, the other nice thing about the online meetings is there's no travel time involved. And uh, so it's a one-hour meeting, you click in, click out. Uh, wives who are on a spot, you know, their husband says, what, you know, when a guy's in recovery, that can be stressful for, if he's married, for his wife, because now he's got to go to meetings. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and he's going to leave. It's going to 30 minutes away. So he's going to be 30 minutes on the road. Then he's going to be at the meeting 30 minutes back. If he's going to the meeting, you can't be sure he's going to the meeting. Yeah. You know, uh, early on, you know, I would leave early to hit a massage parlor on my way to the meeting. Uh, so, you know, there's some advantages to doing it online, which I have been a huge surprise to me. Are you going to join the uh, metaverse? I, are you going to have metaverse meetings? <laughs> <No>. oh, <laughs> then man. you can really not I, see who it is. <laughs> I, I do think it's wonderful that uh, we're, in one sense, redeeming the technology that has caused so much damage. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Did you see a yeah. major uptick because of COVID? I mean, yeah. Have I mean, being addicted to porn during COVID, that had to be incredibly yeah. hard during COVID. Yeah, yeah. So, like, Pornhub... Like, like Italy locked down real early when the pandemic hit and locked down hard. Uh, and, and they had the, you know, they had those. And so Pornhub, <laughs> free premium subscriptions to anybody in Italy, yeah, right? Yeah. Interesting uh, that the, you know, the foreign language group started in Italy. Um, the, those guys couldn't get out of their houses, but they needed to connect. Hmm. They quickly translated the book into Italian and, uh, you know, they've got multiple groups going. Yeah. Um, you know, porn use and alcohol use and, you know, all, all the other medicators that we use 
you know, there's been a rise in all of that behavior during COVID. Uh, I'm just grateful that uh, God worked it out in such a way that we were positioned where we were when it hit. So we've been able to help some guys that would not have been able but until we started the online meetings, you had to go to, you had to go to a, a face-to-face local meeting. And, uh, you know, when we were under quarantine, those meetings were shut down. Yeah. Well, Nate, thank you so much for joining us, man. Yep. I really appreciate it. And Not again, great. it's uh, Samson and the Pirate Monks for anyone listening. Um, yeah. And just really appreciate you leading the way in honesty and courage. Thank you. I mean that. Thanks. So, All right. All right, brother. Good luck in Italy. All right. Thanks. All right. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.